Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 386. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am glad that you are here today because I have a great duo, a great pair of guests from Carl, Illinois College of Medicine. Now, if you haven't heard of Carl, Illinois College of Medicine, that means you haven't been listening to every podcast that I have done because Carl, Illinois College of Medicine is a school, a medical school that I have talked to many times now here on the podcast. This is my third time talking with a representative from Carl, Illinois College of Medicine. The last time was episode 349, talking to Heather Wright, who was at the time the recruitment director, talking about the secondary process, the interview process, and much more. And then I even had Dr. King Lee on the podcast way back, way back in episode 255. And that was when Carl Illinois College of Medicine first got their preliminary accreditation and could be added to AMCAS. And after I got off the the call with Dr. Lee, I was like, wow, like Carl, Illinois sounds like a medical school that I would want to go to right now. <laughs> Having gone through the process already, sign me up because it sounds amazing. And I reached out to Carl, Illinois College of Medicine again recently because of everything that students are going through with this COVID-19 pandemic, with potential changes in the application process, with a lot of interviews from the previous cycle being turned into video interviews. And and hint, if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, Carl, Illinois doesn't do in-person interviews. It's not something they think is beneficial. And we had that whole conversation about that as well. And so I reached out to them because there's so much uncertainty right now 
And it seems like from, from my perspective, having these conversations, that it's something that Carl Illinois College of Medicine really thrives on, being different and, and building on that uncertainty and finding solutions to that uncertainty. And, and really, for you as the pre-med student, finding out who you are through this time and not necessarily trying to pigeonhole yourself into being something that you think you have to be. And that's what we really dive into today with Nora Few, the Director of Admissions, and Danny Taraguchi, the Associate Dean for Student Affairs, both at Carl Illinois College of Medicine. We have a great discussion, so go ahead, listen in, take some notes. And really, at the end of this, I hope that that number one, through this pandemic, you understand that there is light at the end of the tunnel for every student going through this process, this application cycle. And if you are still several years away from applying, that you still have a lot of opportunity, both through this pandemic and later on, to really focus on you, yourself, and what you want and who you are, and not necessarily what you think you need to be for the medical schools. So let's go ahead and dive in. Say hello to Danny and Nora. Danny and Nora, thank you for coming on the pre-med years and joining me today. How are you guys? Excellent. We're excited to be here. Thanks for asking us. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. I, obviously, as we're recording this, it's it's mid-April. We're kind of in the middle of this pandemic. And right around the corner, what typically happens is the medical school application process. And I want to talk to you all. I, I've, I've had a couple guests on recently. I had Dr. Rivera from NYU. I've had Enrique from the TMDSAS system. I really want to talk to you all because, number one, I, I love your mission and your school. And I've had, I've had you all on the podcast many times before, not, not you specifically, but the school. And I just love the messaging. And so in t this time when... There's a lot of panic among pre-meds. There's a lot of conversations happening at high levels. I really want to hear from you all about, again, the, the mission of Carl and how you are potentially doing things differently, because it seems like that's your goal in life is to do things differently at Carl. So from, from a high level, right, the, the kind of January, February and, and March roll around and things aren't looking very good and things are being canceled. What are some early conversations that you all are having about how we're going to handle things? Nora, do you want to start off? Sure. I'll, I'll start by saying, students, um, we are in a pretty good position here. We, Carl Illinois College of Medicine, because of some of the unique aspects of our application. For example, as any of you who have looked closely at our school know, we do not do interviews. So mm -hmm. that's one thing that we're not going to have to worry about. We're not going to have to worry about scheduling that. We are very holistic based in our review. We look at competencies rather than at actual classes necessarily, although of course classes are one way that you can show competency. And that means that we have been accepting online courses all along. Um, we really try to look at the whole student. And so one semester, if the rest of your application is strong, one semester is not going to make a difference. And I think that for us personally, that's the most important message. Danny, do you want to add to that? 
And that was perfect. Great. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's, that's one of the interesting things and students who haven't heard my other interviews with uh, Carl Illinois really should go back and listen to those because I think that's really the take home message is you all don't do interviews. You have different ways of reviewing applicants. You have a very, very thorough and, and I was going to say strict, but that's not the right word, uh, secondary process, right? A very specific is a better word, very specific secondary process to really find the students who you all like. Now, obviously, every student listening to this isn't necessarily going to apply to Carl Illinois College of Medicine. And unfortunately, not every medical school out there is as progressive is not the right word either, but uh, isn't as forward thinking as you all have been. And, and maybe this will change that. Uh, for the general student listening to this, as they uh, are being quote unquote forced to do online classes and online labs and go pass fail with their classes. What are some kind of just general recommendations uh, on their level for the broad amount of schools out there? And, and maybe conversations from more of a national level can be brought into this, but what, what kind of messaging do you have for those students? So I think, you know, we, we had a WMC call this past last Friday talking about national issues. And I think, you know, in general, my opinion, um, as being in this field for quite a while, that the trajectory of an individual applicant is not going to change because of COVID-19. Their academic ability, their volunteer are all going to be apparent. There's going to be obviously a little blip because of this period. But, you know, I think as they look at their grades and, and those different things, if they are doing well holistically, this little area is not going to matter as a whole lot weighted in their overall application process. It matters with each individual institution. But I think if they were like a candidate that was trying to do an upward trend in their grades, the, having a graded um, piece to their application may be more important because they're showing that upward trend. So I think it varies on case by case. You know, California has really said, don't worry about the grades. Really focus on getting your family well. And I, I really do appreciate that element. But I think each individual context for each student to have understanding of what grades and online and different institutions, what that looks like. I think we as Carl Illinois College of Medicine are in a great place as what Nora said with competency-based, doing things a little bit different. We have a portfolio, right? So you upload things around creativity, compassion, and curiosity. And those things didn't just stop or start because of COVID-19. So you're going to have a longitudinal experience. And I think students will continue to be able to do that, even with this piece and what I've been fascinated with are even our students doing amazing volunteer opportunities through the, the web. And so we're working with the Boys and Girls Clubs, doing activities with them, trying to call um, people in uh, senior residents and homes that might be a little more isolated. So I think things that can continue on in this environment, and I think our mission of innovativeness really speaks to that. We can be innovative in this context of the, uh, kind of our Zoom life, right? Yeah. But I want to dive into the longitudinal aspect of what you just mentioned, because I think that is the biggest message that uh, I think a lot of students are missing. But before I dive into that, you've mentioned competency-based kind of review and uh, the, the application process. And I think a lot of students listening to that and hearing that don't really understand what that means. And they they 
because I've seen enough applications, they immediately jump to, oh, competency-based. I need to prove that I'm going to be a good physician because uh, I know how to do uh, a venipuncture and I know how to do CPR and I know how to take vitals. And they they think competency-based in terms of skills, like actual skills that a physician has. Can you explain the, the competency-based part of your review? I'd love to. There, there are two things that I would like to mention. One is that all students should be familiar with the core competencies for medical students, which are on the AAMC website. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I hope that everybody is, is looking at that carefully. The AAMC website is so good. There's so much information there. And I know that you know that, Ryan, and you're yeah. always telling your students that. Um, when we talk about competency, we're talking about it in a slightly more narrow way than the AAMC does, although it is part of that. We absolutely agree with all of those core competencies as well. But we're talking um, about academic competency. And our view is that there are many ways to be competent academically. So someone may um, learn about statistics by doing a project, a project at school, a project at work. Someone may learn about statistics by doing epidemiology. You know, something to do with the COVID virus. Um, and we give students the opportunity to show us ways that they have learned material in slightly untraditional ways or less traditional ways. So through a research project, through an online course, we're not just giving them a strict set of these are the prerequisite courses. Yeah. Yeah, the the AAMC core competencies again. Every student can just Google that, and it, it comes right up. I think those those are things that students should. And, and I, I I always hedge a little bit. Don't use it as a checklist, but just think about it and and think about what you are doing in a big picture and and potentially how it fits into these core competencies. Absolutely. Students have to always think about doing what's best for them and highlighting who they are, not pretending to be someone else. Yep. But but look at yourself and tell us how you have shown teamwork, how you understand teamwork, for example. Yeah. So let's get back to the longitudinal aspect of this, because I think this is where a lot of students focus way too much on the micro and then kind of the words that I like to use is they're focusing on the micro and not the macro. Macro is this long longitudinal, as soon as they realize they wanted to be a doctor, what kind of activities are they doing? How are they showing these core competencies? How are they uh, building those core competencies in themselves? And a lot of them are focusing on the, on the micro of, well, for the first three years of my school, I was just focused on one thing and and then I was going to focus on my extracurriculars and go and shadow and get some clinical experience. But now that's out the window because everything's been canceled. So how am I supposed to show that I want to be a doctor? Talk about from a, a longitudinal aspect, kind of there, there, there are going to be some kind of classic different types of applicants. The applicant who came out of the womb knowing they wanted to be a doctor and everything in their life has been kind of around this and they have this long longitudinal track of, of showing and building uh, this application. And then you have the other students who are coming late to the game or they, they were really focused on being a good student first and we're going to work on these other things later. 
what should students be doing if they were maybe that latter student and and don't have the experiences maybe to prove to themselves that this is what they want, which is going to reflect in their application and proving to you that this is what they want? Where where should a student go who's who looks like that? No, great question. I think I, I, I'm reminded by, uh, we had uh, Sanjay Gupta as one of the commencement speakers at one of the schools I was at, and he sort of talked about how the person defines the doctor, right? So you bring in awe of yourself to defining what that might mean and not the other way around where you're doing a checklist and the doctor's defining who you are. And mm-hmm. I think at Carlino, we really take that approach. We really want them to understand um, what they bring to that. And I'll just tell a little bit of a story about people, whatever stage that they are figuring this out, right? Even those from born from the womb may not entirely know whether this is the right place they want to have make a difference in the world. But the way I sort of look at it is helping them, even when they write their application, I, I often ask them, if you gave this to somebody else, what characteristic would you want them to pull away from this, right? What What story are you telling them? regardless of where you've entered into the medicine and how do you know this is the right profession? And I was working with a, a prospective student quite a while back and she knew she wanted to miss, but she couldn't articulate it. She just felt like this is the path for her, but could not articulate it. Struggled academically, really, you know, chemistry, you know, making those, I mean, doing all the right steps to think about medicine, but still not quite sure. And it wasn't until she began to explore different areas of, of medicine, um, science and different things. And she actually worked with, researched with uh, um, OB, um, uh, in gynecology. And she realized she really was good at research, but didn't have, couldn't feel the direct impact of the one-on-one aspect. And I think no matter where people are longitudinally, it's figuring out this pathway of medicine and what feels right to them. At Carolina College of Medicine, we have people at all different stages of that level, and we really look forward what sort of cemented them in understanding why this is the field that they want to be. We've had people that already gotten their PhD and realize that personal impact that they want to have on people's lives and society and systems all combined together to make a good fit for them. So I think no matter what stage you are, I think you really have to evaluate the why and what almost things that you don't want to do. One of the questions I ask, like, why don't you do public health? Mm-hmm. That's often one that's hard for people to, you know, talk about. Why don't you be a school teacher, right? A lot of people go to Teach for America and realize they really love that, that teaching, but it's really the patient interaction. And they, if they can explain that why, what it makes them feel and, um, and do, and they've been different areas. So that's how I would explain it. I don't know if you would like to add anything, Nora, yourself. I I really agree with, I'd like to highlight a couple things that you said. So you talked about um, not having a checklist and, and Ryan, you said something about this as well. I think it's so easy for students to um, initially think about what they're trying to do and then they make a checklist and then the checklist becomes the ultimate thing rather than the original goal. So they wanted to show their service orientation. They decided that meant that they had to do one, two, three, and then one, two, three is all that they can think about. So go back, go back to what it is that you're trying to show about yourself and then be innovative. Remember, we're looking at you holistically. Um, Danny mentioned some innovative ways earlier that students were doing things to do with COVID. There are things that can happen right now. Maybe not the things that you meant to do, but there are things that can happen. And one last thing, perhaps we want to explore this a little bit later, but in some instances, 
maybe if this is just not working, you need to take a year off and apply a year later. There is nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and I, I think I've had that conversation over and over again with with different guests and different students is if you were banking on these few months to to really solidify your application, then you might not have been ready to apply anyway, right? If you're only relying on a few months or going back to that whole longitudinal aspect of who you are as a person and, and kind of the resume that you've built, I think a lot of students were like, well, it was finally the time for me to do this. And now that I can't do it, what should I do? I'm like, well, you, again, you probably weren't ready to apply anyway, uh, proving to yourself. I, I always, the, the message I always try to get to students is, you're, you, this isn't a checklist for the medical schools. You're you're getting the shadowing. You're getting clinical experience to prove to yourself that you want to be a physician. It's it's not Grey's Anatomy. It's not Scrubs, right? It's, it's this is real life. And now with everything going on in the world, it's even more in everyone's face of of the the difficulty it is to be a physician, right? Families are being separated, and parents aren't living at home anymore because they don't want to get their their kids and, and spouses sick. And, and there are real sacrifices. And I, I think this is a good time. Unfortunately, if you want to look at a silver lining, this is a good time for, for pre-med students to really evaluate if this is what they want in their life. Agree. So let's talk about the one thing that is very much out of students' control, and that's the MCAT. From your perspective, uh, I, I think, I, I forget where the number came from. Oh, it came from um, my friend Christian Esman over at Case Western uh, and the, uh, the podcast that they have, where they said only about a quarter of their applicants are taking M the MCAT later on, like uh, April, May, kind of June, July-ish. And, and so it's not a huge impact that the MCAT has been canceled uh, at least right now. From your perspective, and again, from more of a national perspective, obviously this is a, a big impact across the country and across the world that, that where the MCAT is administered. How are schools adapting to this now? Nora, you want to add it? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start and then maybe you can add. Um, so we do know that Nationally, of course, everybody understands this and all of the medical schools, we really want to emphasize this for ourselves, but I think that all of the medical schools understand that it's important to be fair about this. So I anticipate that a lot of places will um, push their deadlines back a bit just in order to try to even the playing field as far as having this this amount of time when people couldn't take the exam. Mm. Um, I know that there are at least some places that are saying they will start to review without having MCATs and then add the MCATs later into the process. Mm. So the, the main thing that I think I can say to the students about this is don't worry if you are in that group that does have to reschedule. We see you. Um, we know that this is a problem and we're not going to extend deadlines forever because that wouldn't be fair to everybody else or to us or to our process. But I suspect that everybody will be looking at um, whether or not they'll do that and thinking about it really carefully. Yeah, I would just add that 
schools that really look at holistic review and are in a great place because you know what the MCAT does not define the whole person. So it's just part of the aspect. Now, if different schools have that as a, a way in which they they trigger the screening, they will have a great opportunity to really look holistically at an individual without those scores. So, and I think what Nora also sort of indicated, the fairness of that, right? If some people have scores, some people don't in your screening, how do you treat them fairly? Second thing on the, that I will add that the Dell MC has been working really hard on this as well. And on our call last Friday, they indicated that they their commitment was that anybody who'd like to take the MCAT before the end of the year will have that opportunity to do so. So they're really trying to make adjustments for spots so that anybody can, has that ability and they're really working on waiving the fees, all these kind of ways of accessing so that students who want to take it can take it at least by the end of the year. So the scores will at least be available hopefully in early spring. So before March 15th and those deadlines that the score is there for schools to incorporate that into their decision making. So I think nationally, you know, the Dell MC has been really thoughtful about that process as well. Can you give some general advice? I think one of the biggest questions that has been coming in is I am a retaker of the MCAT. My initial score is horrendous and I don't want the medical school to see that and I need to retake it. I'm like, well, first of all, they're going to see everything. So, so let's get that one out of the way. Um, but they're like, well, I don't, I don't know. Should I wait to put in an application because there's been some messaging uh, from a, a school that I won't call out uh, that if you have a score already, like don't make sure that you don't apply before your next score is in or else they're going to review you based on your first score. What should a student do if they have a score pending, a test date pending, they don't even know when they can take the test, um, but they want to apply this year, the rest of their application looks solid. How, how is a school going to, to see that or wait on a, an application's or an applicant's MCAT score? What does that process look like? Nora, do you want to try this one first oh, as well? Uh, sure. Um, so that's a very difficult question because what happens is probably not going to be uniform, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what I hope people do, and, and again, what we will do is treat everyone the same way. So if we decide, and, and this is something that has to go through our admissions committee next week, but if we decide that we will accept applications without an MCAT score, then we won't look at anyone's MCAT score at that point in the application process. We will treat everyone the same. And I hope that um, other schools will also think carefully about that, think about trying to make things as fair and equitable as possible. The only thing I would add, and I appreciate your example, Ryan, about you know, a certain medical school that may not be best fit. And I often tell students, you're doing things backwards. If you're picking the school first, and then figuring out what you need to do that school. You need to identify who you are as a person and how you want to approach medicine and then pick the school that matches you. So yeah. if a student is really struggling with MCAT, they're going to need a place that's going to be, you have the talent, you have the motive, we have resources that are there holistically as student affairs to be able to support you to be a good test taker and build those skills because test taking is, is a skill level. And I, I can have some great news. I, there was a student I was mentoring many years ago just couldn't get that MCAT score where they really needed it, right? They, I think you know, in the old MCAT, they probably had like in the 25, 26 range, right? Not horrific, but we know from research, those students 
can do just fine in medical school. But I was I was a twenty seven. Right? I'll, I'll call myself out. I was a twenty seven back in the day. Yeah, and <laughs> you're you're doing okay. Yep. <laughs> and so, and this student, you know, was able to get into a school. I just got a text from her that she matched and she's moving on. Right. She solved. She went to a school that really helped her solve those tests whatever the issue was, whether it's anxiety or being able to look at testing. So I think that the student that struggled with MCAT, if you're going to a school that relies heavily on metrics and doesn't have the supports to help you, it's not going to be a good fit. And so really seeing what kind of environment do you want to thrive in and then pick the school. And I think you probably know this, Ryan, because you talk many more pre-med students than than we ever do, but they often say, I want to go to X school. And they focus. I said, well, why? Yeah. And it's hard for them to explain. So I think to that those students, you need to figure out the school that best suits where you want to thrive and how you want to approach medicine. And I think that's going to be really important for for any pre-medical student to hear. Yeah. And the, the MCAT and, and I know that that you all have to to walk more of a the, the party line. But from my perspective, the MCAT is unlike any other test that students are going to take in medical school, the board exams are not like the MCAT. And so for for the student listening to this, hopefully that's some silver lining that even if you struggle with the MCAT, that doesn't mean you're going to struggle with all the other tests that are going to come later. So with that said, I have another question because Nora, you brought it up that not there isn't a lot of uniformity. And I'm I'm wondering if this pandemic will maybe bring some uniformity to the process. We have, I think that the University of California system, obviously a large system. Uh, University of Illinois has a bunch of medical schools as well as a system of medical schools. TMDSAS and the Texas Health Education Service has uh, some uniform messaging. The uh, DO schools through ACOMIS uh, and ACOM have some uniform messaging. Do you think this will bring some uniformity to the process for for smaller parts of the process, like when like MCAT deadlines or this school will accept an MCAT that's three years old versus two years old? Do you think there will be some uniformity moving forward because of this? I'm not sure if there will be uniformity because of this, but what I what I anticipate and hope is that it will be an opportunity, at least in some ways, for every school to look more closely at their process. Changing, we, we, we were so lucky to be able to start from the beginning and mm. build our application process the way we wanted to. It's much harder to change an application process. And I think that what COVID will show, what this experience through COVID will show, is that you can change a process even once it's started. And I'm hoping that it will motivate some schools to say, you know what, maybe this is the time to make a change and do things a little bit differently. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here Googling. I'm like, which law of Newton is that? An object in motion will stay in motion. That's, that's basically <laughs> what's, what is happening. And, and that is, is definitely something I wanted to bring up. I love uh, the podcast Freakonomics and listening to economists talk about, oh, this this moment in time was a perfect opportunity to study something because it was a natural experiment that was set up. And I hope that schools take advantage of this natural experiment that, well, maybe we, we had to delay 
the MCAT as part of our process. And, and we added it in later, but we didn't use it as a screen for secondaries or we didn't use it as a screen for interviews or we had to move to online interviews versus in-person interviews. And I hope that medical schools will take that opportunity to set up experiments to say, did this have a positive impact on our class, a negative impact on our class? Did it not change anything? And we thought everything was perfect before and we were just lying to ourselves. Do you think schools will, number one, have the bandwidth to to do those types of kind of uh, analyses or do you think they want to do that? I, I certainly do. I think everybody will have the opportunity to reevaluate. And I think it's just like where the step score, step one, right, became pass and pass. Residency programs are going to do a very similar exercise, really reevaluating their process. And I think this creates a great opportunity to do that. And I think what's great, I think Nora hit this before, it's not like one school is affected by this. The whole gamut across the country and the world is affected by this. So it gives us a, a great opportunity to recalibrate what is the relevance of this test and other factors, grades and all these kind of things in choosing our candidates, right? What is, how are they weighted? I think you have to ask those questions because we don't know what to do, right? And I think everybody wants to treat applicants fairly and to be able to do that. So just philosophically, even if they don't change it, you have to think about it because if you get an applicant that you've relied on in your screening that doesn't have the information you have, what do you do? Mm-hmm. What elements do you have to think about? And I think from a practical standpoint, they have to really evaluate their process, whether they have the bandwidth or not, in order to treat those applicants fairly. Now, Carl Illinois College of Medicine has been different from the beginning. And, and again, I've had uh, Dr. Leon the podcast a couple of years ago um, and had a great conversation about the secondary process and lack of interviews. Have you all taken kind of the torch and grabbed the torch and said, like climbed up to the mountaintop and said, please look at what we are doing and, and, and see how we are successful with our applicants, with our classes, uh, with the community that we've built here, come and use our processes, come and look at what we're doing so that, that you could potentially use this as well. Are, are you, uh, from kind of a medical school perspective, a community, are you hoping to take the lead and, and really be a shining example out there? So I'll, I'll jump in, and Nora, feel free to mention the presentation you all got accepted to at WMC as well. But um, I emailed the chair of the WMC uh, Commission or Committee on Admissions just to let make sure that she was aware of what our process says. I think we're trying to schedule something next week. Just as new medical schools have to rethink their process, I want to make sure that our process is out there as a model for people as they, if they're going to reconsider to begin to look at that. So we've tried to lift that up. And, and Nora, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the presentation you all got accepted. Sure. Well, actually, there were there were two things. So um, we did present at AAMC about a year ago on um, our application process in general. Um, we have we wanted to really get things going before we started to present. And of course, we're continually changing. Mm-hmm. We're continually refining, not changing. Um, but we 
also had um, a presentation in Chicago with the um, AAMC Professional Development Series um, that unfortunately was canceled because of COVID, where we were going to talk about our video interviews and using the showcase and um, our video interviews instead of actually having students come to interview. I hope that we will be able to redo that presentation at some point. Um, I think that that might be a really easy place for people to start. No interviews are biased when they're in person, and there are lots of things that we can do when we're doing it online to make it less so. Yeah. From from the data that you all have that led to doing uh, video interviews and, and having it more of that process not in person, what kind of general advice, I wasn't expecting to go here, but since you brought it up, what kind of general advice would you have for a student to to who is going to an in-person interview to hopefully reduce some of that bias. And obviously we have implicit bias and explicit bias and, and we can't change the person, but what can a student at an in-person interview do potentially to, to help their chances based on some of the data that you all see? Wow, Danny, do you have advice on that? Sure, I think it's as much what we've already talked about, Ryan. They, they need to show up of who they are. Again, to me, it's, it's them making sure they're choosing the right medical school for the right reason, right? Um, and they show up as needed as they show up, you know, rehearsing different, if they're doing MMIs, to in-person interviews, getting their spill down. It's funny, when I was talking to our incoming, I talked to every applicant that was offered a seat for CAR Illinois, and the question I start off with is, tell me your non-resume self. <laughs> and you would imagine some of them really panic with that, uh, because they're used to this um, uh, mental schematic. Here's my major. This is where I went to school. This is where I did research, right? There's a schematic yep. that's notion to that. And I think if that's the kind of school they want to go to, great. That's how you articulate yourself. But when I ask the non-resume self question, I got this rich, full things of how they approach the world, how they see the world differently, how they navigate it, how that's inspired them to do X, Y, and Z. And I think as they enter these interviews, it, it's more about being themselves, right? If you do an MMI, you have a dilemma. You need to respond based on how you see the world. And that's okay. There's no wrong right answer per se, but I think you have to display that. Now, if you are, you know, there's all sorts of language. If you are masking or covering all these different languages that if you're an interviewer, just trying to get in because you're trying to match to that personality of that school. Yeah it's going to be a really difficult journey for you to be in that, that space for a long-term period. So that's my general advice that I generally give students as they, as they do any interview, you're right. You're telling the narrative of who you are and your journey is going to share that all along the way. Even as they approach residency, how you put your package together should represent who you are as a person. And I truly believe the person makes the physician, not the other way around. You bring all of yourself to that. And if that institution doesn't appreciate all those aspects of it, you're going to struggle and to be valued in that space. That is really great, Danny. I agree with that. I think that that's certainly the advice we do give students as they're looking for residencies is show your true self, um, because if you're pretending to be somebody else, then you're going to be accepted at the place that wants somebody else, not you. Yeah. And, and that's just not going to work well. Yeah. It's, it's, I love how you put it that way. It's so funny reviewing applications and talking to students and, and just hearing these stories. I'm like, 
you, you know that these interviewers and these reviewers, like they're professionals. They, they see lots of applications. They understand how to parse through your words. Like they, they understand that you're saying this one thing because you're trying to prove something that you think they want to see in the application, not just you being you. Um, and so it's, it's funny that you put it that way, that they're going to accept someone else, not who you really are. Well, it's, it's interesting, Brett. I was working with a, a student and they showed me, you know, their, their AMCAS application. And there was one little line that talked about her biking across the country. And it didn't say very much about it. She thought it was pretty innocuous. But mm-hmm. as I was talking to her, she was a very shy person. And I said, you, you didn't only bike across the country. You did it three times. Can you explain that to me? And she talked about how she had to prove to herself that she could do things that she was scared to do. If she was going to be a physician, she had to walk into a room and be scared, but she knew whether she could handle that or not. And biking across the country, which I've never done, but you, you, you have to meet strangers. You have to rely on people along the way to connect with. And she said that scared her to death. Yep. But she had to prove to herself that she could do that. I said, but you don't write anything about this in your medical school application. To me, that's the best I, thing I about learned, her. <laughs> I learned more about you from that than yeah. any other aspect on your resume. Yep. Um, and it was a fascinating conversation with her. Yeah. So, so I, I think students are listening to this and there's going to be a large percentage where you talk about holistic admissions. You talk about looking for these students that are true to themselves and there's there. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a very skeptical society where a lot of students are like, yeah, but you just want the, the students with the best stats and the best MCAT, the best GPA who, who have 3000 hours of shadowing and, and all this stuff to, to make yourselves look good. How do we talk to those students, uh, either from from a Carl Illinois College of Medicine standpoint, from a more general perspective, knowing your colleagues in the space that. It, it truly isn't only about the stats. Well, I think there are many things that we can say here. Um, but I'd, I'd like to start by saying that we don't want our numbers to look good. We want to have happy students who graduate and go on to do the things that they want to do. And so in order to make that happen, we have to choose students who are right for our school, who are going to thrive here. That's really what we're looking for. Um, for Carl, Illinois, in particular, students should know that even in a you know we may we may make this even deeper for this year, but even in a regular cycle, um, our first series of reviewers do not know your MCAT. We do want to show them your transcript in your in your MCAS because it's important for them to see what courses you've taken, but we blind them to that MCAT score. We truly do not believe. Of course, of course, the MCAT tells us lots of things. It tells us overall how you are prepared for certain academic areas of medicine, but it does not tell us everything. And and it has bias, and some people do better than others. There are many reasons that we truly do give less weight to it than um, some schools and most schools did in the past. Yeah, and the only thing I would add that if you ask any person of why they really enjoy a particular physician, 
almost guarantee that that physician doesn't share their board scores or nobody, <laughs> patients don't care, right? I mean, you have to have clinical knowledge and we have to have assessments that help us understand what that might look like and some baseline. But it's really part of it is the, the ability to interact with people, right? Create rapport. And I mean, Ryan, you even mentioned your your MCAT score, right? It wasn't off the chart. And I think really helping people understand that all that information, if, if you love to read academic articles because it's really fun, I, I mentored a student around this, great, do it because you love it and you're going to be in academic medicine, you read articles and you want to do all those kind of things. But if you want to be a physician, it's not defined by test-taking skills and these these markers. You, you have to be strong enough to be competent in those areas, but it's not going to define you as a great physician. And I'd imagine, look at all the things, the impact that you've had on the medical sort of pathway program just by your interaction doing these podcasts. So there's a lot of ways you can have impact. And I think they need to see that this is a small piece of medicine, but not defined by that. Yeah. I'd like to add, add one more thing, which is that um, holistic review isn't easy. Um, it, it, it is very difficult to do holistic review. And I'm not saying we've got it perfect, um, but we are we are constantly every year revising how we do it other other schools do this as well um constantly thinking about it thinking about what is it that we are really looking for and and how do we um think about experiences and attributes in addition to all of that academic stuff um to try to try to find the person who's going to thrive as we wrap up here, I have two final questions. Number one is how or, or what is the kind of the final take home message for the student right now sitting at home in, in quarantine and uh, still waiting for the test centers to reopen so they can take the MCAT and, and really uh, shine there? Um, what do we say to them to kind of ease their concerns that everything's going to be okay through this application process or next application process? Uh, and, and two, kind of a final message for Carl Illinois College of Medicine for the, the students that you all love seeing applying to your school. We know that California and Texas have already come out with statements. Some individual schools have come out with statements. We had a wonderful um online meeting with AAMC on Friday. I have not heard a single school say, oh, well, too bad, so sad. Um, you know, schools are saying, we see this, we feel this, we know what is happening, and we are absolutely going to do what we can to make it as fair as possible. So, um I think that everybody is 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 tracking what the AAMC is doing and um, working with their faculty at their institution. Um, again, I I think that for many places things will be delayed, and we understand. We understand. We see it. You're not the only person, and unfortunately, as you said, Ryan, unfortunately, that helps. Yeah. And Danny, from from your perspective, for Carl Illinois College of Medicine, uh, and if if a student hasn't heard my interview with Dr. Lee or the interview, um, uh, I think I did last year about the secondary process and interview process that you all have, the just kind of one final pitch for students to really check out Carl Illinois College of Medicine and and think about applying there. 
where I really just like to highlight our, our, our C. So creativity, compassion, and curiosity. People who navigate this world differently that approach problems, um, really see things beyond the status quo. And I think Stephen put it best. We want to understand, like, why do we do this? If we've done this for a thousand years or whatever the length is, is there a better way to do it? And I think we've really thought about this for COVID-19 is how can we jump in and, and create a system that can respond to this pandemic and really want people thinking, how do we think about how to address these problems differently? And that, that creativity, you know, curiosity and compassion are the kind of folks that we really are looking for. All right, there you have it. Again, I hope that was a great conversation for you with Danny and Nora from Carl Illinois College of Medicine. Again, if you haven't listened to my other podcast episodes with them, that's episode 255. So you just go to premedyears.com slash 255 and episode 349. So premedyears.com slash 349. If you would like some more information about Carl Illinois College of Medicine, you can go to medicine.illinois.edu. So Carl Illinois College of Medicine is, is really interesting. It's a private institution, but it's part of the University of Illinois system. Again, engineering-based medical school. It's just amazing stuff. Go check it out, medicine.illinois.edu. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you are staying safe, and I really, really, really hope that this episode brought you a little bit more peace of mind as you're going through this process, both with yourself and with everyone else. Have a great week. Stay safe. Talk to you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.